On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Jamie West joins me for the brightest conversation in Hamilton podcasting with all kinds of stuff to talk about from Caledonia situation to taxes to, well, all kinds of stuff. Let's just leave it there. Surprises as well. Stick around. You'll enjoy them. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio is what we like to call what we do on Fridays. I mean, we like to think it's that all the time, but particularly on Fridays. And today, to help me achieve that lofty ambition, the guy who is the executive director of this show, but also the owner and operator of the Jamie West Show, Saturdays from 10 till 11 here on 900 CHML. His name, amazingly, coincidentally, would be Jamie West. Sir, how are you today? Um, I'm sitting up, taking in fluids and uh, oxygen, so I, I'll consider that victory for today. How are you? I am, look, it's, it's, the, it's fine. It's Friday night, right? We always, yeah. Friday night is always that moment when you go, you know what, I made it through another week. Things are going to be okay. You're right, except that, you know, you're absolutely right about that, but I'm usually, and still am, knee-deep in getting my show ready for tomorrow morning at 10, and uh, there's, I, I'm sure you find this too, there's too much to talk about nowadays. There's just too many things to discuss. Well, I'll let you go then, and you can get to your work, so thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Uh, by the way, you know what today is, Jamie? Today is not only National Candy Corn Day, which I just mentioned beforehand. Today is also National Knock Knock Joke Day. Oh, gee whiz, really? So, so I got to tell you, I'm 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 trying to achieve on the show today, delivering the worst knock knock joke possible, and I've come up with a few here. Knock knock. Who's there? A little old lady. A little old lady who? I didn't uh, know you could yodel. Boom. <laughs> Yeah, see, we're shooting for the bottom here. We're, we're going for the, there's lots of good ones, but we're going for the I've bottom. Got, can I lay one on you? Yes, please. Knock, knock. Who is there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Orange. What? Orange. Orange who? Aren't you glad I didn't say banana again? <laughs> That's an oldie but a goodie, isn't it? Pathetic. <laughs> uh, hey, tomorrow is Halloween. Uh, we're going to get into a lot more in-depth and maybe a little more serious stuff. But you know what? You've got kids. i got kids. But forget them for a second. When you were a kid, you must have, because you, you are a clever guy, and I'm sure you figured out how to game the system for Halloween. What was your Halloween tip? <laughs> What was the way to to gain and garner the most candy in one night that Jamie West discovered? Oh, seriously? Okay. Um, I guess uh, maybe the the route I would have taken was simply to consider the geography. I grew up in uh, the east end of Hamilton in a townhouse complex, so... I thought that was great because the closer the houses were, the more, mm. oh, the more land you could cover, and uh, you know, and your net profits were much higher because you had that uh, closed-in geography, and and you could do it all in. It was that was basically it. Like if you don't live in an area where the housing's tight, um, paratroop into those places. 
Yeah, it's a trade-off, Jamie. It's a you've got to make a, a decision there. It's a strategic decision because if you're in an area with small houses, you can probably hit more. But if you go to a place with huge houses, maybe they got more money, so they're going to give out the bigger chocolate bar. So you have to make a strategic decision which one pays off more. And that is the truth. What you just said about the larger homes in the bigger neighborhoods, uh, and and I I saw that with my own my own kids, because for a while I was living in one of those neighborhoods, and that's exactly what was, what was happening. There was, uh, there was a greater space between, between places, but the, uh, the take was much, much better. I will give my piece of advice here for any kid who's listening right now who still has not figured it out. Back when I was probably grade six, grade seven, grade eight, myself and my two best friends came up with the strategy, which was we created three Halloween costumes and we would wear one Halloween costume, do about a three block radius at full speed, race home, dump our pillowcase, change costumes, and then repeat the same area again. And they didn't know it was the same people coming. Not that they would have noticed anyway, but we felt very clever and ended up with just a haul. So, you know. If you're at home, right, if, if you don't have that many people coming tomorrow, look for the repeats. They'll, they'll be the smart ones. I think you're on to something. I think that's good advice. And, and, and just for a second on the candy corn, just just don't, okay, everybody? Just, just don't <laughs> do it. Just don't. It's just a step ahead of a bag of homemade popcorn with a twist tie. <laughs> <laughs> or no, an apple. No, or not, right. Just don't. And if you're a dentist, don't give out toothbrushes. Just get out of here. Like, we, you know, nobody. If you're, just, if you're a dentist, this should be the best day of your life because you are helping to create <laughs> business. I'd be giving out just pure lumps of sugar <laughs> melded with some sort of acidic acid or something to eat through the enamel. I mean, and then put your business card in the bag. That's what I'd be I doing have, anyway. I, I used to love it when the odd person would give out a uh, whole can of soda pop. I used to love that. That Loved was good. It. That was very yeah. good. Although some of the other ones reacted by giving out juice boxes, which was also horrendous. <laughs> if it is. you gotta, we gotta go. But if, if you're a, if you're an adult with a home and you're thinking to yourself, you gotta put your, would I want this if I was a kid? And if the answer is no, come on, it's the one day of the week you can relax and not hand, you know, if you've got some sort of health, if you're into healthy stuff, don't give a kid a chunk of tofu. It's not worth it. Just give them something nice they want. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jamie, you are the perfect person to dive into this next topic with, this first topic with really, because and not that long ago, it seems, although time does fly, you, as I recall, were living in Caledonia during one of the standoffs at the Douglas Creek Estates. And, you know, it was something, I, lots of people can look at it from the outside, Um not everybody has lived behind the lines, as it were, has had to deal with the inconveniences or worse. And I'm sure that, uh, I don't know what it is now, 14 years ago, something like that. Um, yeah. It, it, it Time has flown, but I'm sure you haven't forgotten what that experience was like. And we're hearing today the story in the spec from the people who are, again, residents of Caledonia who are feeling beleaguered again, feeling like they're being abandoned again and don't have power, that the power lines have been burned down and the streets have been dug up and everything. What, what do you do if you're, you know, leaving aside just for a second, the essential nugget fight of this, if you live in that town, 
and you're now a victim. And I think that's a fair word because it's not your fight. What do you do? Well, you don't have a, you don't have a lot of choice uh, other than to leave like I did. Um, you, you, you shouldn't be living there to start with. I, I know that's a, that's a very uh, cute and glib uh, answer to your question. But at some point, you've got to say to yourself, this is, it's not worth the lower taxes here. It's not worth uh, the way we live out here to have to put up with this. And, you know, in the first go around, I, I was doing, I was doing the midday show on CHML back in those days. And we were I remember one day when things were really hot there. I think I was on the air for six straight hours taking calls. And, and I never really ever heard the end of it, even when it was over. People still associate me with the, the talk stuff we did on that. But, but to answer your question, um, I don't know what you can do. Because you can't talk to the police officers that are on the scene. That's, that's like, they're like talking to robots and talking to brick walls. And to be fair, just to be fair, that's by order of them. That's not their, the the rank and file is not making the decisions here. They're following orders. But they also make, true enough, but but here's the other thing about it, Scott. This is a truth that isn't often spoken. Those individual officers have some autonomy, and the way they've conducted themselves over history has been terrible out there. They have been terrible at using what autonomy that they have to affect anything positive in that community. And I speak from personal experience uh, on that front as well. I mean, these guys, for example, these OPP officers, they used to call it Cachedonia back in the 2006 days. Um, I'll give you just a, a brief example. One night I was with my wife and my infant daughter in our car, and we went to uh, a storage facility where we had some of our our personal things stored, you know, paid for a locker and all of this kind of thing. And we were going to retrieve something from our locker. And I I was exiting the locker, and these two cops jumped the fence and stopped me and accused me of stealing something. And, And I said, why aren't you guys focused on the blockade up the road? And they were from, uh, my God, I think they were from Pembroke or someplace. And I, I, I said, you know, this is the problem with you guys. Are you too bored? You got nothing to do? You don't have a big enough problem? You're actually hassling the residents? And that's what sticks in the craw of a lot of the residents of Caledonia, you know, is the fecklessness of law enforcement and the, and the complete disregard that individual OPP officers have for the people of Caledonia, because the truth is, Scott, a lot of them aren't from the community or even close to the community. They're zapped in from other detachments far, far away, and frankly, they just don't care. I don't. Well, I, 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 I'm, 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 says. I'm puzzled right now because it was only a week or so ago, maybe not even that long, that a judge made a permanent injunction against people being there, and by the police. Not removing people. Now, I understand how you could exacerbate this or heat it up, but by you've essentially said our courts have no voice. The judge can say what he wants, and we're not going to do anything about it. And and when you've had a permanent injunction, if you want the rule of law in this country to mean anything, you've got to do something about that. In my mind, and and, well, you, have and to, the, you have to enforce. You have to enforce. Yeah. And you, you, sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, that, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. What What is the point of having a legal system, a court system, if the judges can speak, who are supposed to be the ones whose, whose opinions and rules we follow and we do nothing about it? Well, and, and you know what? It doesn't just, and that doesn't just apply uh, in, in the Caledonia situation. That's a really large issue. And I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something from personal experience in the family law system. It doesn't work there either. Court orders don't mean anything. People thumb their nose at court orders all day long. And then everybody goes, well, now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? You know, we have a piece of paper that says this is supposed to happen, uh, but the other side's refusing uh, to adhere to that, to the law. So now what do we do? Oh, gee whiz, uh, oh, we don't want to get people upset or... Well, you know, if we injure somebody or if somebody gets roughed up, that could cause political problems or maybe a lawsuit or, oh, oh, oh. And, and, we, and we've, got this, we've got this approach uh, to our law. And, and, and I say, you know, cr- criminal law, family law, civil law, what, what have you, uh, where it seems to be okay for everybody to shirk responsibility and show no respect for the law. We were just discussing, you know, the, the the legal system makes rulings, but don't necessarily seem to be enforced. And the the the, tr- the problem you have with that is that's how our system, whether you like it or not, that's how our system remains civil in some kind of way. And when we get to the point when you say, "I'm not going to follow that ruling," and we don't do anything about it, either the whole thing breaks down or the next step becomes really unpleasant because then everybody feels they have to take matters in their own hands because the society and the system is not going to do it for them. Well, you're, invite, you're inviting anarchy. And look, we have enough of a problem in society with everybody uh, being so individualistic and there's so much focus on individual rights and, and to hell with the common good. That's the problem with our society. And, and, and that's reflected, frankly, and I know it's a different topic and I'm going to talk a lot about it tomorrow. That's reflected in the way this COVID thing is being handled as well. Um, and I won't, I, I, I'll stay on Caledonia, but this idea of the individual, the individual's rights and, and to hell with the common good is simply wrong. We have laws for a reason. We have court orders for a reason. They have to be enforced. And you know what? I'm taking a harder line on this than I did back in the old days, because even even back in the old days, I was concerned about being politically correct even even on the air because i was worried about the politics of it with 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 the broadcaster and everything else well now now i'm not you know they've, they've when i saw the images recently of the road torn up um and the burning again i'm sorry you roll in the tanks and get them out of there arrest every one of them throw them in jail and deal with it later and if it has to be dealt with because it's an indigenous issue about land treaties at the federal level, then let the feds deal with it. But at the local level, we're going to enforce the law, and you're not going to be allowed to do this. And if we have to stand in a, in a line around this housing development the whole time with guns pointed at you, then so be it. Enough is enough. And a lot of people are thinking that. But they're not saying it. But I'm saying it because it's well. Fine. There's there's a, there are a lot of people, Jamie, who have great sympathy for the issue of the treaties and all the rest. My problem with the way this plays out again and again is that it's the people of it's not the, the fight is not with the residents of Caledonia. It's not with the but they're the ones who become the victims. If you if you have a fight with the federal government and that is who this fight is with, go to Ottawa 
Stake yep. out a spot in front of yep. the House of the Commons. Do, go, ahead. go to the go to the people who your fight is with, as opposed to creating. If you believe you're a victim, and I understand that they believe they're victims, and they may well be victims, and a lot of people would say they are, but you've most now just created. Thugs. Most of but them are most of them are disenfranchised thugs. But they're you've created a whole anything. new. You've created a whole new group of victims that don't have anything to do with this except that they're paying the price. And, you know, there's a story, as I say, in the spec today, there are people now who've had no power for days, no water for days. Domestic and, terrorism. Well, it's, it's you know, I, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe the answer is what you described. I think that, you know, we look at things like, um, what was the one? What was the one by the Quebec border years ago? Um, uh you know, and, and that one, you know, went horribly wrong. And, Oka, and that has now Oka. Oka, Oka. And that's now, I'm sure, made everybody very skittish about doing anything. And, and now, if, yeah, exactly. Uh, with Dudley George and all that. And, and so now everyone is terribly skittish about doing anything, but not doing anything is not an answer either. That's the unfortunate part about this. And so I, I just, I, I, you know, my great sympathy lies with the people who live in Caledonia and are saying again, Again, what, what, where's, our, where are our rights? And, you know, uh, look, whether you want to clear the protesters out or simply say, you want to stand there, that's fine. But the minute you start burning stuff down or digging up roads, you will be arrested instantly. You can't allow the, the there's a line that has been crossed several times. And, and to me, it, that's where this thing goes south. When you're affecting the people who live there legally you've crossed the line and you know, nothing's being done. Apparently destruction anyway. cannot be allowed and the peace must be able to be maintained. And, and it can't just be lip service um, by the indigenous protesters or by the cops. The cops have to do their job too often in society today. The police are not doing their jobs and it, that doesn't just apply to, to Caledonia. They're not doing their jobs everywhere uh, because they are skittish about political correctness and they don't have the training to deal with all the bs that they have to deal with on every call and uh well after george floyd after george floyd i guarantee well i can't guarantee you but i'm quite sure that many of the cops who are doing these jobs are sitting there going my goodness if i if i take some preemptive action here and it goes south and suddenly someone ends up hurt uh, look what happens and i i I have no doubt that there are many cops who are very conscious of that don't need to even use an extreme example like that you, you you only have to consider what goes on in the city of hamilton uh with the police their their their, their failures to uh, uh to deal with anything that is difficult uh psychologically uh their their complete failures to uh, account for and 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 write accurate reports on the incidents that they are called out to uh attend to um Somebody's got to do a deep, deeper dive, and maybe it'll be me. They are not effective, and I'm not blaming individual officers. There, there are some that are are just awful, and that alone is the problem. There shouldn't be a discrepancy between uh, the quality of one officer or another. There shouldn't be that wide a gap, and that speaks to training, but that's, again, a whole other topic. But if we roll it back to Caledonia, we roll it Very quickly, down. 10 seconds. People need to read Christy Blatchford's book called Helpless about the 2006 uh, occupation because it's all in there. It's a great book. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jamie, one of the 
horrendous stories that we've had in our country over the last number of years was the accident between the truck and the bus that killed all those members of the Humboldt Broncos. It was a national tragedy. It was a shocking thing because of the young lives that were lost and injured, permanently injured, and the fact that it was a hockey team, which resonates, and, and all the other stuff, small town, everything that goes with it. Well, the story is back in the news because the driver of the truck who hit the bus still has time to serve in prison, but there is now apparently moves afoot to have him deported when he gets out because that is permissible. Under Canadian law, any serious crime that leads to a 10-year jail sentence, you can be deported if you are a naturalized citizen or not a born Canadian, I guess. And I'm wondering what you think about the idea of whether the guy who did this should be deported when he gets out of jail, or is that excessive? Well, I don't know what is. I don't know what the personal circumstances are of the guy. Is he got? Is he got kids? Is he trying to raise a family here? I, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, you got to. I think we got to. I think we got to consider that. I mean, um, you know, there's been lots of people who have gone to jail for for crimes that you know they've served ten year sentences for, and um, I, you know, I I think that maybe the the high emotion of the thing would lend people to lean towards, you know, deport them, get them out of here. What do you know? We got enough people who want in here who aren't going to cause problems, you know, that kind of kind of an attitude. But you know, without without knowing every detail of the, the circumstances of this guy's life, my my thoughts immediately would go to his to his family and what that deportation would do or mean to his children and and i i assume a a a partner that he might have uh uh and what that what that would mean because net net as a society in canada we might not end up ahead on that deal um well and let me throw another one out at you and this is what i was thinking every time i hear this story and and my my level of sympathy for the families this has nothing to do with that it's it's we all can not understand certainly but imagine i guess to some degree what that's like it's horrible and and so it's not it's not diminishing them but the reality is, this was not a, 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 a crime of malice. This guy didn't go out to set out to hurt no. people. He he blew a stop sign yep. that probably we've all done at one time in our life. And there, but by the grace of God, we didn't happen to have a bus or a car crossing at that exact moment that we T-boned and killed a bunch of people. But I we all probably... Yeah, we've all made driving mistakes and like apparently this sentence was twice as significant twice as long as any other for a similar crime ever in canadian history and i look at this and i think you know are are we really this was a this was an accident it was a horrible accident but it was an accident and yet somehow we seem to be taking the position this man is the worst person on the planet i'm not excusing what he did but it's not the same as chopping someone's head off or shooting someone or assaulting someone in some horrible way. It was a horrible accident, but that, but it was an accident. Yeah. I, I, like I said, if, if this guy, it's just, it's simple for me. And, and back to the idea of the sentencing, you mentioned that this was, you know, double, I think you said close to double what a a sentence would be case law wise in, in a situation like this. 
you know, there that's that's subjective to what a trial judge finds. Like judges have all kinds of def, uh, leeway and subjectivity when they lay down sentences, and they're not uh, they're not immune to political pressure either. I don't think um, they're and they're human beings too, just like the rest of us. Um, they're not gods, and they and they don't have uh, the absolute answers. But but again, all of this to me. Uh, comes down to the fact, the situation. You've laid out the truth. There was no malice. The penalties being paid. Uh, the debt to Canadian society under the law will have been paid when this man uh, comes out. Uh, deporting him is not going to bring back any of the victims, but it could end up creating a couple more or a few victims uh, after the fact. Uh, namely the his, his kids his kids don't deserve to suffer uh, because of the mis- because their dad blew a stop sign um, they just don't and and they will become uh, for lack of a better way of putting it a burden on Canadian society because probably pro- and, and if they don't and either way either, either way they're going to be a pariah and, and unfortunately like I would hope and I trust I, I hope, that when he gets out, he doesn't stay living in the area. Not that he'd not have the right to. If he doesn't get deported, he is allowed to live wherever he no, wants in would, Canada. It would make sense for him to bug off to some other place. It would. Just to help the people there so they don't accidentally run into him at some point or whatever. And, and I, I would expect he'd want to get far away from there anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I heard this story and I went, wait, you know, I, like I, the sympathy for the victims is immense, but somewhere in here... There has to be, if not sympathy, some level of understanding that he ran a stop sign or a stoplight. And if you are one of the people who's driven for any period of time and you have never blown a stop sign, accidentally blown a light, taken a wrong turn on a one-way street, something, if you're one who's driven perfectly, I suppose you can then be the one to throw the stones. But my goodness, I, I know that I have not always driven perfectly. And as I say, heaven, uh, that, that could have happened to any one of us. Well, and and without without malice, uh, as you uh, so aptly pointed out, this this guy's sentence is a life sentence because he will never live this down. No, no, no. Never live it down. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Yesterday on the show, I was chatting with Josh Brown from the Waterloo Record because the Ontario Hockey League announced its plans to return uh, in February now instead of December. Well... Today, one of the reasons they were putting that off, as we understood it or we anticipated, was because a number of weeks ago, the Ontario government said that if you come back and play, you won't be able to have any body contact in the in the game. No checking. And one of the reasons everyone thought, okay, we're going to put it off till February is because now that's kind of ludicrous. Um, how do you play with no bumping, no body contact, whatever? Well, today the federal or the provincial government announced, no, no, that's still in play. There's not going to be body checking of any kind or body contact allowed when hockey comes back. And I'm I'm really struggling to understand how two people bumping into each other in a body check is more likely to pass COVID than people battling for a puck in the corner next to each other or standing face-to-face breathing on each other to take a face-off or being together in the dressing room, or sitting on the bench, or like, are we? I, I, I'm trying to just figure: Are we doing this to make a point, or are we doing this to be safe? 
I don't know what the answer is to that um, because you know you're 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 making a good point. You know, I was sitting there thinking about what we clearly know about the transmission of of COVID, and that it's primarily through aerosol and droplets. And and you're quite right. All the other examples you gave, uh, where the parties would be, you know, the, uh, presumably, of course, they're going to be huffing and puffing, and there could be sweat droplets flying and respiratory droplets flying in the corner or, as you say, uh, close to the face-off circle, et cetera. Um, yeah, I would think that a body check might be the least of the evils. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, that would be uh, there. So, like so many other things, though, Scott, with this provincial government on COVID, um, it, it leaves more questions than answers. And, and logic just doesn't seem to register very much with uh, the decision-making processes. And I can cite other examples, but it's your show, so go ahead. Well, no, but, and look, the criticism of some things with the provincial government are absolutely fair, although I would suggest that it's not just the provincial government. The the overreaction, it seems, and look, I've said this before on the show, I'm not arguing that COVID is not real or not a real thing or anything like that, but it seems as though... You know, we, we like to say in our society, well, you got to follow the science. We follow the science. We're always about the science. Well, okay, what is the science that says a body check is going to lead to COVID being passed? And if there is science, I am all for then listening clearly. But it seems like in a lot of cases, we're not, not provincial government, federal government, private people, whatever. We're not following any science. We're going by, well, that sounds good. Let's do that. And it's making things crazy for people. No one knows what they're supposed to do. I think that uh, I don't understand the body checking thing at all. I just don't. I, I don't know whether that has to do with the potential for additional injury that somehow factors into this medically. I, I don't know. Um, uh, but I do know that I do know that the politicians are not following the science. They are following their constant sub rosa political agendas and goals and objectives that's what they're doing and a, you know a prime example of it was lisa mcleod lisa mcleod who up in nepean who got somehow got the, the premier to just flip a switch with her you owe me a favor card on dance studios you know gyms are closed but dance studios are open there, there's another, that's another prime example of what we're talking about. Um, they, <laughs> they should all be open or they should all be closed. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, look, I it, it, you can... all closing. I, I you, think we've had an underreaction, not an overreaction, but go ahead. Well, no, I, I, the, the overreaction in my mind is because we're, we're and maybe it's not even an overreaction, it's a, it's a totally confused reaction. That we've had cases where, you know, we, we've talked about that. this before. At the beginning of this, wearing a mask was a horrible idea, we were told. It was a really bad, it could be making things worse. And now we say, well, wait a second, if you go out without wearing a mask, you're a horrible citizen and you're just trying to spread COVID. And, you know, this and that and the other, and we don't seem to be able to make up our mind and... Everyone, I think, is completely confused. And now governments and others, because we don't know what the heck is going on and we're all confused, we're just making stuff up at this point, guessing that this is going to help. 
And what well, it's doing is it's, yeah. first of all, destroying the economy and it's destroying a lot of other things that maybe don't need to be destroyed. We've got 20 seconds. <laughs> okay. I, I think that the difficulty is that COVID is literally an evolving thing on a day-to-day basis. And that is probably the root of all the confusion because then the scientists have to take the new information that has to get disseminated down to politicians who filter that through their political agendas. And then we come out with mixed messages to the general public who are fatigued and aren't following yes. a lot of these things anyway. There you go. That's all I got. There you go. And, and, and what I, and as we go to break, what I don't understand is the league announced it's not starting till February. Why announce this now anyway? Why, why not wait and see what's happening in December, January, and then... You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So there is a senator in the country's capital who I look at as a very wise woman. Uh, her name is Senator Lucy Monsion. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. If not, I apologize, but you get the idea. You can look her up. She has made what I think is a suggestion that, quite frankly, I'm shocked she has had to make because I thought it would be so bloody obvious that nobody could have missed this one already. But she says, why are we not freezing the wages of all politicians during the COVID pandemic? Frankly, I think she doesn't go far enough. I think, why have we not asked our politicians to take a bit of a pay cut during this to show their sacrifice when so many people across this country have taken a pounding. How is it taking an unelected senator to throw the idea to the politician's face that should be blatantly obvious to them, Jamie? Well, you know, she's trying to get herself a little bit of publicity and that's fine, but she has... You disagree with her? No, no. I, I think that, I think her motivation is to get attention, but I actually think her her idea is a decent idea. I think that at very least symbolically, it would suggest to the populace that, you know, we're all in this together and that, you know, if you're hurting, then we got to hurt along with you. Um, I've always thought that that was a a good idea. And, and yeah, I think that's terrific. How how much though is enough? You know, that'll be the next question. Well, and you, Sure. And you can say how much is enough. And I think that's a fair question, but I think just the idea, first of all, first step, just the idea that we're going to show we're doing something and we're aware that you're hurting would be a good start that you, that we're acknowledging that there are so many people who are either out of work or have lost wages or their income is down. That would, you're right. It's symbolic, but Jamie, at least sometimes symbolism matters. Oh, I, I, I agree. Um, I think this is the perfect time for this kind of a gesture. Um, I think it's important that that leaders, uh, elected leaders, say, uh, speak with their wallets and and say, yeah, because um, they get a lot of benefits and they get a decent buck. And hundred eighty thousand yeah. for a federal MP. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Plus you know, plus expenses and other perks and things. So, um, yeah, I think that it's, it makes perfect sense to, uh, to do that and to say, uh, we're going to do this and you are going to show the, the Canadian people that we, we, you know, we're with them. There's nothing really to argue about 
except that, you know, somebody will find some reason that it can't happen. Well, let me take it a step further. And I know this is going to be wildly unpopular with people listening who are public servants, public servants, but considering the private sector has been hammered by COVID and there has really been almost no impact on the public sector whatsoever. I'm not sure why we haven't had the federal government, the provincial government and the city of Hamilton, which has just started its budget talks and is talking about it's going to probably need to have a tax increase. Why have all these places not gone? And I understand it's unions and they're probably going to say no, but at least why have they not publicly gone to them and said, we're asking you as a gesture to show your participation in what's happening in the world, a 5% cut this year that can go towards helping to deal with some of the cash problems all the governments are having. I know the unions will say no, but at least make the effort to put them on the spot and say, we're trying. We want you and give you the opportunity to, to do your part like so many of your neighbors. Um, same thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like, do it, you know, but they won't. You know, but it's, it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do. But as I said much earlier in the show, you know, uh, keep your hand off my stack, Jack. Like, we're, we're not all in this together. We just we, aren't. No, we never have been. We never have been. No, we don't have that philosophy uh, under which we operate in this society today. We are fully focused on our individual needs and our, our comfort. And we can't have anything mess with that comfort because that might mean that we might not be able to instantly gratify ourselves financially in some other way if we give up that small amount of money well there is another way jamie there is a way and and you know what uh, and i would not be opposed well i would be opposed to it in a sense i don't want anyone to get laid off i don't want anyone to lose their job i don't i'm not i'm not after people's jobs but you know the other way to do it is if you're a government and you say look at the money that is flying out of here we know we know the city has a number of city councillors have said they want to take the four percent proposed tax increase and say, we want 0%. People can't afford it. All right. You know what? You were going to go to the unions and ask them to take a cut of 5% in these dire times. And if they say no, we will be having to cut our workforce by 5%. So as a union, as the unions, you decide, do you want everyone to take a little bit of a shave or do you want 5% of your people out of work? But we got to cut some money somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the answer is. Um, yeah, well, I, the the answer I, is someone has to do something because, as I say, I'm not picking up. Well, I am kind of, but the public sector has really had no participation in what's been going on, while the private sector has been demolished. Demolished? Do you think? You think that that may be a little overstated? Okay, a little overstated, a little hyperbole, has been seriously, seriously impacted, and there's been an awful lot of pain. Is that better? That has a nicer ring to it, yeah, it does. And certain segments have been demolished. I mean, tourism and restaurants and service industries and, you know, small businesses, and a a lot of them would say, no, no, demolished was the right word. Yeah, there's no easy easy answer uh, to this. There just isn't. Um, 
there's no easy answer because we've never we've never lived through a time like this and we and you can't argue that 1918 was the same as this you can't argue that at all um you know yeah there was a nasty uh, pandemic but you know this is a this is a totally unprecedented uh, thing for our society so i don't i just there's any go ahead no no I i just feel like there's a blind spot among politicians, among many, not all, among many politicians that don't see all the pain that is out there and that there are gestures and actions that can, you know, either make a statement or that could do something to help. I mean, look, when I say we got to cut back, those people who are really, really hurting right now, that 4% or whatever it turns out to be tax increase that might happen, to some people that may be laughable and you go, well, come on, it's just a few hundred bucks. Yeah. But you know what, when you've got no income coming in and it's not just a few hundred bucks there, it's the fact that food prices are going up and hydro rates are going up and this right. is going up. You start to add it all together and it's not laughable yeah. anymore. No, it isn't. it's not. That's true. That's very true. That's very true. Um, you know, those, those things do add up and they add up quickly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it surprises me. It, it, it surprises me at how uh, tight a tightrope politicians walk on this on this stuff. When and and it's what's become clear to me is that it's very difficult for people to make the decision to be leaders versus being politicians. There's a time to hmm. lead. And there's a time to politic. And there is a distinction. There is. And this is a time to lead. That's why I vomit every day when I listen to the so-called premier of the province of Ontario get up and tell and repeat the same platitudinal uh, phrases over and over again. This guy's great. This guy's a champion. If I hear the word champion one more time, I'll start playing We Are the Champions. In fact, he should play it at every news conference. Um champion champion this champion champion this great this great that that's not leadership that's bs 101 um you know i'm i gotta i better save some of this because i'm gonna be going <laughs> off at, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning about it well let me let me let me bring it down closer because i mentioned you know that we're starting into budget discussions here in the city and I also said, and I, 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 I say this absolutely genuinely, I don't want anyone to lose their job. I, I, you know, like you look around and you see people who have, it's not fun. It's, there's no glee in that. But how is it that we as a city can't make the determination to say, you know what, these are such dire times right now that we are going to allow for atrophy. And that's, that's still the wrong word, but we're not, we're, we're going to just not rehire anyone who leaves, anyone who retires, anyone who goes on to a different job. We're just for the next couple of years, we're not going to fill those spots. We have something like 7,600 municipal employees. We're going to allow three or 400 of those to go down, which will save a whack of dough for this city. And you know what? If it means some people who work for the city have to do a little extra, guess what? Every single person in the private sector has had to do extra. So, oh, so you're fully, not being hard done by. I fully agree with that. Fully agree with that. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be an automatic that you get a pass on having to chip in a little bit more, a little bit more labor, a little more of whatever, um, because you're in the public sector. 
Absolutely not. And particularly during, a, you know, a global pandemic. It, it's, it's just, you know, we just don't get it, Scott. We don't, we don't get it. And the reason we don't get it is because we have never, ever suffered uh, an uncomfortable period of time in our lives, by and large. We have not known wartime. We have not known a Great Depression. We have not known discomfort, food rationing, uh, what have you. You know, people used to live multi-generationally during, during tough times, not because they loved living with their in-laws or their grandparents, but because families had to do what they had to do to get by. And we have not known any of that. None of that. Um, going into the generation that would be maybe 73 or 74 years of age right now, the, the baby boomers, they didn't know it. They were born after that time. They haven't suffered, my God, and everybody else after the fact. We have lived, we have lived a charm, charmed existence. So you're right that, you know, kicking back a little bit of something, whatever it is, more effort, more another hour of work a day, um, a couple of bucks, whatever it takes to help our, the greater good, we need to be doing that. And we're just so damn selfish and unwilling to do it, by and large, that it's depressing. And we well, it's because we've allowed it to happen. It's, we've, we've acquiesced to demands and we've allowed it to happen. And the problem that we have with governments right now when it comes to employees and public service employees is not that every public service employee is lazy. I don't mean that. There's a lot of them who are great. But we don't, we don't, I don't believe we don't have the same expectations. And if you run your own business or something, you have such skin in the game and there's no guarantee of your paycheck. So what do you do? You work extra hard. But we yeah. seem to have decided, I remember a number of months ago when um, Rachel Notley, uh, when they were talking about some cuts in Alberta to some public sector stuff and literally, and I don't know the exact words, but every single thing that they said they had to cut because things are really bad out there was going to lead to death and this was outrageous and immoral and everything else. And it's like, wait, when did a public sector job become a guaranteed job for life that could not be taken away or else all of society would crumble? I don't believe that Hamilton, bringing it back here, always had 7,600 employees and the city survived. But we've created this thing now where it says, if we get rid of anybody the whole thing falls apart and we're all going to be having children and poor people dying in the streets. I, I don't believe that if we raise expectations a little bit and say, if you work in the public sector, you may have to work a little harder. But guess what? You've got benefits. You've got a pension. You've got a great paycheck. I don't think it's too much to ask that some more time and effort be put in. And that's not everybody, as I say, but some. Can't argue with that. Can't argue with so, it at all. So um, where is that? And, and maybe it's going on behind the scenes, but to me, this should be done publicly as a show that this is being asked of the unions and of the workers. This should be done so we are aware of it. Well, I guess you have to get the political leaders in a room with the union leaders and get them to agree to unify for that purpose and go out there and say that. Good luck with that. Well, and, and yeah, Jamie, I mean, look, you and I both know how that would be received. 
um, as well as everyone listening knows how that would be received. Um, I don't know. I just, as I say, if there are, there is another way to do this. And that is, look, if you're not willing to chip in a little bit or to deal with a little bit, a little bit less, we're just going to have to get rid of some people. And I don't want that. And nobody wants that, but you know, we're, we're, we're looking, it's not anyone who thinks that we're not facing or we're not staring at gigantic tax increases down the road with the federal deficit and debt, the way it is right now is dreaming and the provincial deficit and debt that has to come back somehow. One way or another, you and I and people listening are paying for that. It's not going away. And your your municipal taxes are going up. So we're going to be paying tons extra. And we're supposed to say we're happy to pay all this extra, but we're not seeing any give from the people who we're paying it to. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Not at all. Not at all. And... Uh... You know, I do believe that it's it's such a it sounds like it's it sounds like such a bummer of a conversation, but I, I also do believe that you know once we're rolling up our sleeves next June and getting this vaccine, and once even people realize the vaccine is being distributed, happy days are going to be here again real fast, and there is going to be such a pent up demand to get out there and make things happen, and entrepreneurs are going to fly in from everywhere and. There's going to be, you know, there. I, I believe that there'll be more business going on, and that'll increase the business tax base in the city, which has been let's hope long, so. Let's hope so for sure. Well, long overdue to, to get it, so that we can get more of the tax burden off the backs of resident the residential base. And uh, I think, you know, I'm an optimist, and and I think that's that's what will happen. There 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 will be good things that come out of this. Out of this pandemic, there will be lessons that are learned and, and there will be good things that come out of this. I think some things are already happening that way, but anyway, what do I know? Well, it is it is a bummer of a conversation, but uh, what can you do about it? I mean, it's, it's the world we live in. So let me finish with you with this then, because today is National yeah. Knock Knock Joke Day. Let me finish with another high-quality knock-knock joke to send you off on your way. Knock Knock. Who's there? Who? Who, who? Hmm. It's, it's sorry. I, I said my, my. I just. I lost the connection there for a second. Sorry. Okay. So you said you said knock knock, and I said who's there? And I, and, no. And I said two. Oh, you said two. Two who? No, no. no it's to whom. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Not really. It's really bad. But there you go. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.